Hey, you're listening to the Bramley Baptist Church podcast. We're glad you're joining us to listen to this week's message. Whether you're starting your journey or looking to strengthen your walk with God, we believe that God will speak to you today. Let's get into the Word together. Well, maybe you've heard the story about the, uh, the Sunday school teacher who wanted to teach her students a lesson about uh, the power and danger of our words. And so she went out and she bought uh, several tubes of toothpaste and uh, brought them on Sunday morning. She placed a, a tube of toothpaste on the desk for, for each of the students. And she said, students, today we're going to do a race and we're going to see who's the first one to get all of the toothpaste squirted out of their bottles. And so you can imagine how this went in a room full of kids, right? There was just toothpaste everywhere, on the floor, on the walls, on their clothes. And when they're all done, the teacher says, all right, all right, here's the next thing. Let's see who's the fastest to get all the toothpaste back in their tubes. (laughs) And when the children realized this was just an impossible task, she she said, see, our, our words are much like toothpaste, aren't they? So easy to come out, but not so easy to put back in or clean up the mess afterwards. The danger of the tongue, the danger of our words. I mean, listen, we all get that illustration because we've all been there before, haven't we? We've been in situations where we wish that we could take back the words that we said, that, we, that, that, that those times where we've metaphorically put our foot in our mouth and we've done, we're doing everything we can to, to take it out. But words spoken are not so easily taken back. And, and even after we apologize, sometimes the damage is already done. You know, no wonder the Bible warns us so often about the dangers of the tongue and the wisdom of guarding our words. I'm not sure that there's anything that we are warned about more often in the Bible than the danger of the tongue. I think of Proverbs so many times. uh, Proverbs will say, the mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut off. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of fools pours out folly. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Amen to that. John MacArthur takes time to to point out uh, just how often the Bible speaks of the tongue. He says the Bible refers directly or indirectly to a wicked tongue, a deceitful tongue, a lying tongue, a perverse tongue, a filthy tongue, a corrupt tongue, a bitter tongue, an angry tongue, a crafty tongue, a flattering tongue, a slanderous tongue, a gossiping tongue, a backbiting tongue, a blaspheming tongue, a foolish tongue, a boasting tongue. You get it, right? And all of us fit into one of those categories. No doubt, we've seen ourselves allowing our tongue to become something dangerous. So it's with this background in mind uh, that we come to our chapter this morning where James is giving us this warning of taming the tongue. 
Why? Why is it so vital that you and I as believers discipline ourselves to tame the tongue? Why do we need to tame the tongue? Well, if you haven't already, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to James uh, chapter 3. Uh, we've been journeying through the book of James. And uh, uh, if you have your Bibles open, if you've got it open on your devices, I'm going to ask that you'd stand in, in reverence to God's word this morning. I'm going to read verses uh, uh, 1 to 12 for us. We're actually going to look at all of chapter 3, uh, but just for our time together, I'm going to read uh, verses 1 to 12. And, and I think it's important to say, this is the most important thing that I'm going to say all morning, what I'm about to read right here. God's word is the most important thing that I have to share with you this morning. So let me read it. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue it is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. For the same, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or grapevine, produce figs? Neither can salt pond yield fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So we are into our sixth study of this letter of James, the brother of our Lord Jesus. And by now, I'm guessing you figured out, if you, if you didn't already, that the James is a, it's a challenging book. It's challenging because it, it forces us to ask ourselves some, some necessary questions, but some very difficult questions. James forces us to examine our hearts, to examine our faith, to examine our lives and ask the question, is my life or my actions demonstrating a life that has been radically changed by the power of Jesus Christ. James is, is painting a, a picture for us of what genuine, true faith in Jesus looks like. And that was nowhere more clear than, than what we uh, read last week, that, that faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. 
James says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead, right? And that's really the theme of this whole book. It's what we've, it's what we've hopefully you, you've gotten since the beginning. This is the theme, right? That, that if you and I say we have faith, that, that faith, it, it will be evidenced in our life. That, that if you and I claim to have faith in Jesus Christ, then that faith in Christ will have real practical implications on how we live and do life. It has real and practical implications on how we handle things like trials and tribulations, how we handle temptation, how we respond to God's word, how we treat other people. And today, what James is saying to us is that your faith in Christ, if it is genuine, will have a real impact on the words that come out of your mouth. And he's touched on this before in his letter. It's not new. Uh, we saw it back in chapter 1, uh, verse 19, for instance. James says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. James, in a way, was saying there's, there's a reason that God gave us two ears and one mouth. And that is because we should be listening twice as much as we are talking. There is wisdom in learning to listen to others before we open our mouths to talk. Similarly, James said in, in that same chapter, in verse 26, he says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So what James has touched on before, he is now diving in the deep today. We come to chapter three and James is saying, let me tell you what I mean by all that. Why do you and I need to learn to, to tame the tongue? And the reason he gives us in our chapter this morning is this, is because there is no greater evidence of the depravity of mankind than the untamed tongue. The greatest evidence that mankind is utterly depraved in sin is evidenced in the words that come out of our mouth. Why? Well, because no one has ever been able to tame the tongue. Look at what James says there in verse 7. I, I think it's really the, the theme of this whole chapter, what he's driving at. So let's just look at verse 7 and 8. Uh, we'll start there. Look at what he says. He says, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. I mean, what, what an amazing observation that, that mankind seems to have the ability to, to tame all kinds of animals and wild beasts. I mean, just this week, my, my daughter came home from school and she's excited because she got to hold a tarantula in her hands. And she said she was the only girl in her class that was willing to do it. Not only a tarantula, but she was able to handle a, a wild snake, right? Zoo to you came to her school and gave a demonstration and a lesson of animals to the kids. And the animals they dealt with are animals that if we saw them in the wild, we'd run the other way. But these animals have been tamed and raised for this purpose. 
Right? All kinds of, of animals, beasts and lions and bears and elephants. And have you gone to the zoo? Have you gone to the, the circus? You've seen this. Birds that don't fly away from their masters but, but remain or, or fly back once, they, once they've flown away. How many of us have gone to marine land and seen these, these sea creatures, right? The, the dolphins and the whales put on shows, tamed by mankind. Think about it. We've been able to tame all kinds of wild animals. But when it comes to the tongue, when it comes to the destructive nature of our words, every human being has failed. How many wars have been waged over words? How many politicians, pastors, celebrities, public figures have had careers crumble because of their words? How many corporations have been brought to their knees because the CEO tweeted something they shouldn't have tweeted? How many marriages have been broken? How many marriages irreparably damaged by words that have been uttered? How many children have grown up thinking less of themselves all because of words that have been spoken over them? The tongue, our words, have a way of revealing the sinfulness of our hearts. And James says, no human being can tame the tongue. You can keep yourself from, from all kinds of sin. You can discipline your actions. You can discipline your body. But how many times have our words, our mouth, gotten us into trouble? How many times have we regretted the, the sinful words that have come out of our mouths? I think James is right. I, I know James is right. No human being can tame the tongue. But we need to see that, that nuance there. No human being can tame the tongue. You're right, James. No human being can tame the tongue. But that which is impossible with human beings is possible with God. That which we cannot do on our own, God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, working in us can transform even the words that come out of our mouth. I mean, this is the work of the gospel in our lives. This is the, the transforming power of Jesus Christ that, that with God's help, through his Holy Spirit working in us, we can tame the tongue. In fact, James says in the beginning of this chapter, the taming the tongue is the key to spiritual maturity. Taming the tongue is the key to spiritual maturity. I mean, I get that from what he says in the first two verses of our chapter here. Look there with me. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. 
So he starts out with this warning for us that, that not many of you should become teachers. It's, it's a command, but it's, it's a warning. Why? He says, because teachers will be judged with a, with a greater strictness. I mean, it seems a bit strange because if there's one thing that the church is always in need of, it is strong spiritual leaders. But James isn't discouraging people from becoming leaders, but he's warning them. He's warning them saying there is a a greater judgment. That is that, that when we stand before Christ, when he returns, there will be a judgment and, and, and it will be the teachers of God's word, those who claim to speak on behalf of God, who will be judged with greater strictness. And we would think, I mean, that's fair. Our leaders, our our pastors, our, our elders, I mean, they should be held to a higher standard. They should be living as, a, as an example to others. This is what it looks like to live as a faithful follower of Jesus is what their lives should be saying. And I'm sure James would give a, a hearty amen to that. But that's not his concern. He tells us why these teachers will be judged stricter. He says, All stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. So James' concern, it seems to be that the teachers of the word are in danger of a a more stricter judgment because of the words they speak. Not just about quantity of words, but the quality, the, the truth of their words. I mean, think about this now. Listen, listen to what Jesus says to us in, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36 and 37. Look, Jesus says this. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless words they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. That's a, that's a sobering thought, isn't it? I mean, think about how many words we speak in a day. I Googled it for you, so you don't have to this morning. <laughs> the average person, depending upon many factors, of course, speaks anywhere between 6,000 to 16,000 words. Some estimates go up to twenty to 25,000 words a day. Now, now you can figure out for yourself uh, if you are on the, the high end or the, 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 the low end of those, those numbers. But, but still, of all of those thousands of words that we speak in a day, how many of them are careless words? Perhaps, I mean, that's sobering enough. Maybe I don't have to go on. That's enough for you to say, all right, pastor, I'm going to discipline my tongue, right? The fact that every careless word that, that we speak, we will give an account to Jesus for. But Jane's point here is that if that is true for all Christians, how much more for those whose words hold sway over the salvation of God's people? I am, me, I'm going to to give an account for the words that I say from this pulpit. The question are, are my words leading people towards the Lord or are my words leading them astray? 
Am I preaching the word of God, the truth of God, or am I preaching my own opinions and my own thoughts? Am I using this pulpit to just simply come and entertain you for 30 or 40 minutes a week? So maybe maybe you understand why I, I take this time that we have together so seriously. I'm going to give an account for this one day. The warning is those who desire to be teachers of the word should should tread carefully. You will be judged according to your words. But James makes this connection here. It's not so much about who is in leadership as much as it is about the maturity of that leadership. I take that because of the second verse again, where he says, we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. That that word perfect is is key there, right? In the Greek, it's teleos, right? And and, 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 and it means perfect, not in the sense of sinlessness, but when that word is used in this context, the word carries the idea of mature or growth unto completion. Uh, We saw James use this word the same way in chapter one when he talked about how trials have a way of perfecting us. He was talking about how trials mature us. So James is saying that the ability to discipline, to tame our tongue is a sign of spiritual maturity. And we can tie that into his calling of teachers. Not many of you brothers or sisters should become teachers of the word, but you should learn rather to mature in Christ first. Learn to to bridle, to, to tame your tongue. Allow yourself to mature in the faith before you step into the pulpit. And this indeed is evidence that we are growing, that we are maturing in Christ as we look at our journey. We we can see that God has taught us to, to tame our tongue. I mean, I've witnessed this as a, as a preacher, right? Just, just for fun sometimes, I'll, I'll pull out my old sermons from when I started preaching and I'll give them a read. And, and I can't tell you how many times I, I cringe at the things I've said and taught, especially when I first started. My mom actually has a video of my very first sermon I ever preached and I've told her on several occasions, just burn it. Like, just get rid of it. I have no interest in hearing that thing. Why? Because there was this immaturity to my teaching. Some some things I was teaching were just absolute error. Other times it was just irrelevant. And, And as I've grown and as I've matured, there's a directness and a focus on God's word and his truth. I've noticed that as I have matured in Christ, so have my words. I remember when I first started going to seminary and learning all kinds of truth and doctrine, some that I never even thought about before. There was this arrogance, this brashness, this rudeness that that I wanted to debate anyone who disagreed with me and and prove to them that I was right. And and I've noticed that that as I've grown, that that, that God has grown me and that there's more grace. There's more patience. There's less of me forcing my uh, opinion on others when it comes to secondary doctrinal issues. Taming the tongue, learning to bridle it is is key to our our spiritual maturity. I've noticed this in my, my Christ walk as well. 
That as I've grown in the Lord, he has taught me to, to tame my tongue. Man, before I was a follower of Jesus, I had a filthy mouth. I cursed and I cussed a lot. And the Lord has taught me to tame my tongue. That my speech should be seasoned with salt. And as Paul says, to not let any unfilthy language come from my lips. Praise God. Praise God. As a young husband, I, I was harsh, short, ungracious in my words. But as the Lord matured me, as he, he softened my heart, he taught me that a, that a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. I'm not perfect. I don't stand here and say that by any means. I, I notice what James says, that in the area of the tongue, did you notice verse two, he says, we all stumble. I love how James included himself. We all stumble, myself included. But the more we learn to tame our tongue, the more it is a sign that we are growing, that we are maturing in Christ. Taming the tongue, it's, it's vital for our spiritual growth because the tongue has the power to impact the direction of our life. That's what James says next, that, that, that we should learn to tame the tongue because the tongue has the power to impact the direction of our lives. He, he gives us uh, uh, two images, two illustrations here, and these illustrations uh, uh, give us the image of control. So we look at verse three there. Look at what he says. He says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty clear image, right? It's, it's, a, it's a, a, a great picture to have. I mean, you picture a horse, huge animal. Strong and magnificent. You, you could place as much as 500 pounds on the back of a horse and it would carry it for, 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 for miles and miles without much effort. And yet this strong and magnificent animal can be controlled by a bit that is placed within its mouth. And with that bit in its mouth, a well-trained child could control which way that horse goes. The image James wants us to have is that, that such a, a small thing has the power of the direction of such a great animal. That, that's the power of the tongue. He, he gives another illustration, similar. A large ship that, that moves in, in waters, carried by the winds, or, or in our day, a motor. Yet this, this huge, large vessel, this ship, is guided, directed by a small rudder that determines the direction of that large ship. Think about the power of this small beast that is in our mouths, the power of the thumb. Think about how many issues, how many trials, how much trouble you and I have found ourselves in all because we said the wrong words. 
James is saying this small thing that controls our words has sway over the course of life. With our tongues, we can stir up strife or bring calm to a a tense situation. With our tongues, we can build up or we can use it to tear down. With our tongues, we can express gratitude. We can demonstrate ungratefulness. With our tongues, we can express love or we could use those same tongues to just spew out hate. With our tongues, we can give wisdom, guidance, expertise, or or with it, we can demonstrate extreme foolishness. All of which has a significant impact over the direction of our lives, our, our relationships, our careers, our marriages, our families, conflicts, resolutions. The wisdom there is in in taming our tongue, taming the tongue, it, it impacts the direction of our lives. See, James gives us these images of control, but then what happens when we allow our tongue to get out of control? Well, look at what he says, starting in the second half of verse five there. He says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set amongst our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. And we don't have to work to bring up imagery of the damage of forest fires, do we? I mean, James had forest fires in his day, but anyone who has been paying attention to the news over the last year uh, has images of the devastation and the damage and the destruction of forest fires. We've seen images of, of whole communities wiped out, people fleeing their homes, coming back with tears in their eyes because everything they have, have has been lost. We've heard the stories of family losing loved ones, of firefighters heroically sacrificing their lives to to fight the flames. The devastation, the destruction, the brokenness left behind, and all of that started with just a spark. And James is saying, this is the devastating power of the damage words can do when left untamed. Maybe you remember that old nursery rhyme. Like I remember when I first came home and told my mom that the kids were making fun of me at school and uh, came home and she told me that nursery rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And then we grow up and we find out, you know what? Words do hurt. They cut deep, so deep, deeper than physical wounds. Words leave wounds, scars, marks on our hearts and minds that last for years. The power of life and death are in the tongue, James is saying to us. We can speak life or we can speak death. We can speak blessing or we could speak cursing. And here's what James is saying. 
Here's the, here's the transformation that should be taking place in our hearts as we grow in the Lord, as, as we mature in the Lord, as the Holy Spirit is transforming us more and more into the image of Jesus. What should happen is that our words should turn from cursing to speaking blessing, from cursing to speaking blessing. Look what he says uh, there. He says, the, the tongue is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. And then in verse nine, he says, he says, with it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. I mean, it's amazing uh, the evil of this tongue, isn't it? Because we, we do so often what James is describing here. We, we could be in church on Sunday morning praising God, singing blessings to his name, and that same mouth, that, that same tongue that is blessing the name and praising the name of God is that same tongue that we use to verbally attack or verbally tear down someone, sometimes even before we get out of the building. The same tongue that we use to tell someone we love them is that same tongue we use to verbally tear them down if we feel they've crossed us. But James is saying, believer, this should not be. We see that word he, he loves to use to describe believers, right? Brothers, brethren, brothers and sisters. He's talking about you and I as believers. If we are followers of Jesus, this ought not to be so. This is not the fruit of Christ working in your life. This is not what should be stemming from a life that is being transformed by Christ. He gives us another image, a, a spring that brings forth fresh water. It, it can't bring forth both salt water and fresh water. I mean, if you go and you, go and you swim in Lake Ontario, uh, you don't expect to come up with salt tasting on your lips afterwards. No, there, there's a certain kind of water, only one kind of water that flows there. So there should be a certain kind of language and speech that flows from the mouth of someone who claims to know Jesus. He asked another question, does a, a fig tree bear olives? And the, answer, the obvious answer is no, the, the fig tree can only bear figs, uh, but we can bring it into today so we can see it. Uh, an apple tree, if you go to an apple tree, what, what kind of fruit do you expect to see coming from that apple tree? So it is with the Christian. So it is with the follower of Jesus. There's a, a certain kind of fruit that should be evident in our speech. When you come to a believer, someone who claims to be a follower of Jesus, you don't expect to find words of cursing. You don't expect to see them tearing down another human being made in the image of God. You expect to find words of blessing. You expect the words of Christ to be on their lips, the word of the gospel, the word of encouragement. Oh, sure, there's times where we, we are given correction and discipline, but even in that correction and discipline, our aim is to speak the truth in love. Here's what I know. I know what James says here. 
is true. We all stumble in this way. So this is an issue that that touches all of us. But for some here this morning, our words, our tongue is a real problem for us. It is a, a real struggle. Maybe it's gossip we struggle with. Maybe it's slander or hurtful sarcasm, the sly remark. Or maybe sometimes we allow our emotions to come over and take control of us and we just feel justified into ripping into someone who has crossed us. Maybe if we feel hurt, we feel justified in hurting someone else. Some of us this morning, our words have done considerable damage and cost us a lot. So the question is, well, well, how? How How do I start? How do I learn to tame my tongue? I think, I think for some of us, it, it starts right here, right now this morning. It's recognizing this sin in your life. It's bowing your head even now and confessing it to the Lord and repenting of it. For some of us, it starts by going home and, and calling someone and, and just having that difficult conversation of apologizing and expressing your remorse of how your words have impacted them. Some of us need to go home and, and have difficult conversations. Some of us, those conversations need to happen with the person sitting right next to us. That's where genuine change starts. It's amazing what the Lord can do in a life who's willing to confess and repent. But there has to be long-term change, right? Change doesn't happen in one conversation. It's a start. But in order to deal with this issue of the tongue, we need to get to the root of the problem, the root of the issue And I think that's where James goes next as he ends this chapter. Notice this conversation in verse 13 to to the end about wisdom from above and wisdom from below, godly wisdom. Look at what he says there in verse 13. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of his wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy, and selfish ambition in your hearts. Do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. James is saying that wisdom, true wisdom, is shown in our conduct. Notice what he says there. there, If you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your hearts, he says, do not boast and be false to the truth. He seems to be saying that the issue of our words, what is coming out of our mouth, stems from what's going on in our hearts. If you have bitterness and jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, it's going to bring forth false boasting and false truth. See, so often when we want to address the sin that we have in our lives, we think about it merely about the actions. Let's address the actions. 
So we want to solve the problem. We say, okay, I got to change how I talk. But James is saying that the words that come out of your mouth are, are, are just a symptom of a deeper issue that's going on in your heart. It's like having a virus and treating the cough. You want to deal with the virus, you got to go to the virus, not deal with the symptoms. And James is saying our hearts our desires, our passions is what causing the issue of our words. You know, Jesus said the exact same thing. Luke chapter six, verse 45, Jesus said this. He says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. He says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Look at what he says in Matthew chapter 15, verse 18 to 20. He says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But, but to eat unwashed hands does not defile anyone. So James is simply teaching what Jesus taught, that what comes out of our mouth or what proceeds from our life is a direct result of what's going on in our hearts. And so if you want to see a change in the way we speak, it starts with what's going on in our hearts. What's in our heart? And James's point and Jesus's point is that there's only one person that can change someone's heart. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So it starts there. It starts with the question, have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? Like, I don't know everyone here. I don't know your situation, but I, I, it starts here. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Is he the Lord of your life? Because we don't want to simply address symptoms here. This isn't just about moralistic living. We want to change hearts. Do, do you have a, a relationship with Jesus? Have you placed your trust, your faith in his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins? It starts there. But then it's committing to his work in your life. Notice James makes this comparison between wisdom from below, that is worldly, earthly wisdom, and he compares it to wisdom from above, which is godly wisdom. And the question is, oh child of God, which wisdom are you pursuing? James says of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition and boasting and false truth. Look at what he says about this in verse 15. He says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above. It is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. So examine your heart before you examine your words. You wonder why there's this disorder in your life, this disorder in your words. Are you chasing after the wisdom of the world? The wisdom of the world tells you to, to use your words to take what you want, to, to stand up for yourself at, at all costs, to let your voice be heard, that your opinion should matter to everyone. It's the wisdom of the world. It's loud. It's proud. It's angry. It's demanding. And if that's what's in your heart, that is what will rule your words. 
Notice the difference with the wisdom that comes from above. Godly wisdom. Notice these adjectives here in verse 17 and 18. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Pure and peaceable. I mean, am I, as I speak truth, am I looking to to be a peacemaker about it? James says, gentle and open to reason. No one is saying you can't share your opinion, speak your mind, but, but am I gentle as I do it? Am I open to reason? Like, is there, is there a possibility that you and I can sit down and, and just have a conversation about our differences, our conflict, no matter what? Full of mercy, impartial, sincere. This is the wisdom from above. It starts, it starts here. It starts with recognizing that difference in our heart. When those wisdom from the world starts stirring up in our heart, that before it brews into our words, I say, I bring those things before the Lord. You know, sometimes I'll get an angry email or text message. And what you want to do right away is, let me, let me tell you about yourself. But I've just learned to just wait, to just pray to bring it before the Lord. Maybe this person's right. And then, after I brought it before the Lord, then I'll answer that email. Full of mercy, good fruit. This is the wisdom that is from above. James is right here. No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison, and we have all seen the truth of that in our lives. But with God, all things are possible. Praise him. Oh, what God can do with a life, a heart. What God could do with a tongue that is surrendered to him. Are you willing to lay your tongue on the altar this morning? I think of the words of the old hymn that came to me this morning as I was reading over my message. It says, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. But then it says, listen, take my voice and let me sing always only for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. And here's the root. Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. That's where true and lasting change begins. When we allow God to be the king of our hearts. 
Thanks for listening and making us a part of your walk. We encourage you to take today's teachings and apply it to your life. Challenge not only yourself, but those around you. Our support in your journey does not end here. To hear more messages from all our series or to speak to someone to help grow your faith, visit us at branley.org.